We're continuing with our series looking at Ephesians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to be considering submitting to one another. Submitting one to another, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 through to 33. Previously it was seen that the children of light are not to be drunk with wine, but rather they are to be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that is, resulting in what is written in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 and 20. This is where we left off last week, 19 and 20. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul now starts a new section looking at the duties of Christians towards each other. That's in verse 21. And then more specifically, the duties of wives towards husbands and vice versa in verses 22 through to 33. Duties of parents towards children, parents, uh, children towards parents. That's in chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. And masters and their servants, the various duties involved there. Masters towards servants, servants towards masters. Chapter 6, verse 5 through to 9. We're not going to be looking at all of that tonight. We will be looking at duties towards one another generally. Duties of wives towards husbands and husbands towards wives. First of all, looking at the duty of Christians towards each other. In verse 21, the Apostle Paul said, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submission or subjection means the same thing. One to another is a common theme in the Bible. It comes up time and again. For example, in Mark chapter 10, verse 42 through to 45. I read it just a few minutes ago. The Lord Jesus Christ said to his apostles, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister, shall be your servant. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant or slave, shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. That really should put an end to any thoughts that any of us have of lording it over anyone else when we just consider the last thing that Jesus said there. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
in the context of when Jesus said that, two of his apostles, John and his brother James, they wanted Jesus to grant them permission to sit either side of him in heavenly glory, no less. However, the teaching and the exhortations of the apostles in the epistles that we see after the Lord Jesus Christ had given his life a ransom for many and he was risen from the dead and ascended to heavenly glory and we see that they took on board the instruction that they received from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very clear in their epistles that no longer are any of them uh, asking to be seated at, uh, at the side of Jesus in heavenly glory. There's none of that. For example, in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5, where the, the, the Apostle Peter, he said, Likewise ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. That's Peter for you. Obviously, he'd been listening very carefully to Jesus in Mark chapter 10. Also there's Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where it is written, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem or consider other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. If you're a Christian, you might like to pray that God would strip you of all remaining vestiges of self-importance and pride as the Holy Spirit applies those words of the Lord Jesus Christ and his apostles to your heart and to your born-again life to the end that you might be in subjection, that I might be in subjection, in submission to others in the fear of God that is, with a reverence for God and with a desire to do God's will and to glorify him. We now come to the duty of wives towards their husbands and husbands towards their wives. Paul starts with the women and so will I. Therefore, it's ladies first. Let's have a look at verses 22 through to 24 and this is Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22 to 24 Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church and he is the saviour of the body therefore as the church is subject unto Christ so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Before we go any further, I'll state the obvious, and that is that neither here nor anywhere else in the Word of God are there any instructions whatsoever concerning the duties of husbands to their husbands or wives to their wives. And that is because same-sex marriage is a human invention and homosexuality is an abomination. It is detestable. For example, in Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, it is written, 
If a man also lie with mankind, if he lies with a male, as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. Can you see how we have departed from the word of God? The things that we are now embracing in our laws and celebrating. We as a nation, I mean. Although homosexual activity is not punishable by death in the West, and as I say, if anything, it's celebrated, there is nevertheless no reason at all to imagine that it is no longer detestable to God. We stand on the word of God, and it's very clear in the scriptures what God thinks about these things. With that said, we'll consider what the Word of God has to say about the duties of wives in a legitimate marriage union between a man and a woman. The first thing we see is that wives are to submit themselves to their own husband. What that means is that wives are to be obedient to their husbands. You'll find almost identical words in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul said, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. Don't imagine that an inferiority of wives is any way implied in verse 22. For one thing, God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. God created male and female in his image. Therefore, both males and females were made in the image of God. Also, a wife might be more intelligent intelligent than her husband. She'll probably have much better table manners than her husband. And she may well be considerably more spiritual than her husband. I happen to think that really the, 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 the headship of the family, the marriage relationship and the family goes to the man. And I emphasise the spiritual as well. But that's not always the case. We know that's not always the case. For example, whilst the wife might find time to read her Bible and pray and visit sick brethren when she's not too busy with the children and just about everything else that needs to be taken care of in the house, the husband might be more interested in finding time to pursue his hobbies. How often is that the case? Even so, wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as is fit unto the Lord. Note that the submission is unto the Lord, as unto the Lord. That means that the submission of a wife to her husband is done in obedience, ultimately, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Which does not mean that her obedience to her husband has to be unconditional. Because she is in subjection to her husband, as unto the Lord, she must do everything that he says. 
all the time because it's as unto the Lord. That's not what it means. I don't believe that to be the case. For example, we're all to be in subjection to the higher powers, to our rulers, for they are ordained by God. So your your subjection to the rulers is as unto the Lord, the Lord who ordained them, our rulers, our MHKs, our chief minister. We're to be in subjection to them. However, that does not mean that you are required to obey our leaders in matters that violate God's laws. As the apostles said to the Jewish leaders who were in charge of them under the Romans, we ought to obey God rather than men. They said that when they were forbidden from proclaiming the gospel of Christ. Nowadays, the state is encroaching more and more into the affairs of the church and it is enacting laws that are designed to restrict what can and cannot be said and done in and by the church and by individual Christians. In other words, the state is poking its nose in more and more into the affairs of the church. Therefore, you and I will increasingly find ourselves in situations where we ought to obey God rather than men. An example that comes to mind is the laws that are being introduced that forbid so-called conversion therapy on sexually confused and sexually depraved people such as homosexuals and males who imagine themselves to be females and females who imagine themselves to be males. What a messed up world we live in, isn't it? Such laws are clearly opposed to God's laws, which are proclaimed in order to induce repentance in such people. And that's God's laws are designed to induce repentance and prepare their hearts to receive the good news of forgiveness of sins through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as a Christian, you really ought to say, you should be saying, we ought to obey God rather than uh, men or rather than our rulers. If you see a sexually confused person, someone who seems to have forgotten that they're a male and not a female, speak to that person. Show them from the scriptures that what they're doing is not pleasing in God's sight. And one day they might thank you for it. They might thank you and praise God for sending you along and inducing repentance through God's law and of course presenting them with the good news of forgiveness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Never mind what the law says, the laws of the land say, we ought to obey God and not men. Applying all of that to the marriage union. If a husband requires his wife to engage in an activity that violates God's holy laws, there is no reason to imagine that she is under any compulsion to obey him. In fact, any claims of the husband to be a Christian, if he claims to be a Christian and he is expecting his wife to do things, whatever, 
which are a violation of God's laws, which are not honouring to God, I would say that husband would, would need to examine his profession of faith under the light of God's infallible word. I for one would not expect any Christian to do anything that violates God's laws or to feel uh, compelled to do anything that violates their conscience. We live in a fallen world that does its level best to oppose God. Consequently, it is a world in which the very thought of a wife being in subjection to her husband, it is frowned upon, it is despised, it is rejected by many, or at least it is in the West. That is a serious matter because it is not in accordance with the Word of God. The Word of God clearly says here, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. It couldn't be clearer, could it? So it's a serious matter when verses like that are are frowned upon, rejected, discarded, disregarded, because it's no less serious to do that than to disregard and to despise any other verses in the word of God. Because you are, you are disregarding and rejecting the word of God. And that is not for any of us to do that. Even though this is what the world does. This is the world we live in now. And you'll find yourself under tremendous pressure to conform to the ways of this world. To walk the, the course of this world an ungodly course, instead of walking a righteous path. For a marriage to be one that honours God, wives are to be in subjection to their husbands as unto the Lord, and the reason for that is given in verses 23 and 24. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let wives be to their own husbands in everything. The headship of husbands over their wives, it reflects the headship of the Lord Jesus Christ over his church. Or putting it another way, looking at it slightly differently, the subjection of wives to their husbands is a reflection of our subjection as Christians as the church, to the Lord Jesus Christ. No one would argue with that, would you? That we are to be in subjection to Christ. Well, what we're being told here is that the subjection of a wife to her husband, it reflects, or it's connected with, the subjection of the church to the Lord Jesus Christ. Dare we argue with that? It's time to move on to the husbands. Verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We've already seen in verse 23 that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And now we see that husbands are to love their wives, even as the Lord Jesus Christ loved the church. 
even though Jesus is the incarnate Son of God, that he is the Lord of Lords, that he is the King of Glory, nevertheless, his love can be seen in service to the church. He made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a servant or of a slave. Consequently, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church can be seen to be an active love. For example, on a daily basis, Jesus spent his time with his disciples and he ministered to them, even to the point of washing and drying the feet of his apostles. By way of contrast, the ministry and love of husbands to their wives can all too often be seen to be nothing more than giving them the occasional bunch of flowers or box of chocolates as if they were tossing a treat to the dog. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church is a sacrificial love as can be clearly seen at the cross where he poured out his blood and he laid down his life when the collective iniquity of all the members of his church was laid upon him. That sacrifice was unique. It was a sacrifice that can never be repeated. Nevertheless, depending on the circumstances, a self-sacrificing love by a husband for his wife might actually mean spending time with her talking to her instead of spending hours playing computer games or excessively pursuing a hobby or a sport. It might mean helping out with the children and when the time and opportunities permit, it might even, might, might even mean taking her out on a date. Suffice to say that there is no room for husbands to lord it over their wives and even though wives are to submit to their husbands, they should not feel the need to walk on eggshells in the presence of their husbands as they carefully choose every syllable of every word that they say to them. The bottom line is that a husband's love for his wife should be such that she delights in being in submission to him and she doesn't see it as a chore. It has to be a lovely thing because... It's from the word of God. How could it be anything else? It works. Let's have a look at verses 26 through to 33 now. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That's the church. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular 
so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. In these verses we see that the Lord Jesus Christ, he consecrated, uh, died to consecrate the church to himself in in an exclusive and permanent relationship that is mirrored in the marriage union. Indeed, the church is the bride of Christ. Just as we saw in chapter 1 and verse 4 that individual Christians are holy and without blame before God in love, more broadly the whole body of believers or the church is without spot or wrinkle, holy and without blemish in Christ. And that is the consequence of that sacrificial love and death of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church. It is because of his death on the cross that the church is consecrated unto God. Holy, spotless, pure in God's sight. When it comes to a husband and his wife, they are joined together to become one until death separates them. That union is described in verses 31 and 32. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. In those verses, Paul is quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. The Lord Jesus Christ, he also quotes Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, in Matthew chapter 19. That a husband and wife are one flesh is given as a fact, whether you see it here in Ephesians chapter 5 or you see it in in Matthew chapter 19 or in Genesis chapter 2. It's given as a fact. The church is, uh, the, 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 the husband and wife are one flesh. That's the reality. And it's also given that he that loveth his wife loveth himself. We see that in verse 28. In other words, a husband ought to have the same care for the comfort of his wife as he has for himself. Because they are one flesh. A husband, you look after your body, or at least you ought to look after your your, your body. You and your wife are one flesh. You look after your wife. You give her the same care as you give yourself. As for the church, which is the body of Christ, there isn't a single moment when our head does not tenderly watch over his body and care for it, the church. Not one moment. Jesus is constantly working all things for the good of his church. Last of all, Paul makes mention of a great mystery in verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. A mystery is something that remains a secret unless it is revealed. And what has been revealed in this passage is the connection between the marriage union of a man and a woman and the relationship that exists between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. It's when you get it into your head 
and you really understand and appreciate the connection between the marriage union and the relationship that exists between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church that he died for, that you'll appreciate and gladly accept the words of the Apostle Paul in the very last verse here, in verse 33, where he says, Nevertheless, let every one of you, in particular, so love his wife, even as himself. Again, as the Lord Jesus Christ loves his church, and the wife see that she reverence her husband, or respects her husband, as does the church reverence the Lord Jesus Christ. As we finish, it's worth thinking about the reality of the relationship that exists between the Lord Jesus Christ and his church, which he gave himself for. Dear Christian, think about how wonderful it is to be part of the church, which is the body of Christ, that he loves, that he continually cares for, having died for at the cross. And last of all, any of you who are not members of the body of Christ and wedded to Jesus. Repent, receive him as your saviour from sin, believing that he loved you and that he gave himself for you. Amen.